0: We are in a series on the seven churches of Revelation, and um, I am paused sort of going through the seven churches to uh, go back and take a look at Revelation 1. And um, I love Revelation 1, and I want to invite you um, actually to go on a journey with me today because uh, Revelation 1 happens um, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. So go with me there in your mind. It's, It's clear waters. It's white sand, uh, beaches, and it's this little island. And the island's about eight miles, uh, give or take, long by about four miles wide. And on this particular morning that we find ourselves on this island, Uh, the sun is probably just coming up over the horizon and the bright orange and yellows and purples and all the different colors are sort of spilling out and you can just see the sun coming up. And as the sun comes up, I think there's probably seagulls flying around and perhaps even porpoises going through the water and then the roar of the waves is there in your ears, the deafening roar of the ocean. And if we walked down to the edge of this island, it's an island called Patmos, and at the edge of this island where the waves are breaking, you would probably feel the salt spray on your face. You might even be able to taste the salt on your lips. And as we stood there, what you would begin to hear is the clank of chains, because this particular island was where Rome sent people who were political prisoners or people who were in some type of asylum. and. As the scene opens in this Revelation 1, we find John, uh, the apostle. And if we were standing there, we would hear the clank of chains. Perhaps we would even hear the yell of slave drivers as the, as the miners began to move around. And they were mining for salt inside these caves and cliffs around the edge of this island. And if we walked in to one of those caves, there would have been an old man, probably in his 80s. And his name was John the Beloved. He wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and most likely he wrote Revelation. And I would imagine as he sat there on this particular Sunday, the Lord's Day, he had shackles probably around his wrists and his ankles. And underneath those shackles, from the turning of his wrists inside of them, were probably scabs and scars and possibly even open wounds. And I imagine that John's heart is actually um, downtrodden because he's an old man and all ten of the men that he loved so dearly who had journeyed with him as they followed Jesus through the Galilean countryside had gone on, had been promoted to eternity. And John would have sat there, I imagine John even longing to lay his head again on the very chest of his Jesus like he did at the Last Supper. and. Suddenly John is we're going to read here in a few minutes, is caught up in the spirit, is what the word says. And uh, suddenly um, you, you get this revelation that comes. It, it actually comes um, from God the Father who gives it, we'll see in just a minute, to Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son gives it to an angel, and an angel carries it and gives it to John. and the angel says, "John, write what you see, write what you hear, and then give it to the seven churches, not just the seven churches, but the church. And so what we read today is actually passed from God the Father to Christ Jesus the Son to an angel to John and then to us. And I imagine on this particular day that John, it was a Sunday, John would have been longing to be with his churches. The seven, there was probably even 10 churches or more that he journeyed to, and he would have preached, and he would have loved on those people, and he would have served those people. I imagine him even being sad and probably down in his heart that he couldn't be with them and love on them and encourage them in person. And as he's sitting there, literally this angel appears. And this Jesus that he knew so well, this Jesus that he actually laid his head on Jesus' chest suddenly speaks to him, and John the Beloved hears at the end of his life. He's probably 80-something. And as the angel says, take and write what you see. I imagine John with hands that most likely were cracked and fingers that could have even been busted from the salt mines on the edge of that Patmos picking up some type of quill and parchment and beginning to write to the seven churches. And this wasn't just any sermon that he would preach. This was the probably sermon of all sermons. This was God Almighty in and through John who would actually provide an entire book that would become the bookend to all of the canon of Scripture. Revelation is how King Jesus sort of tied up the entirety of Scripture. And I would have to say here before we even start reading Revelation is a difficult book. Uh, Revelation is actually a strange book. And if you study the entirety of the Bible, there's similar passages in Daniel and Ezekiel. Um, There's similar passages in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. But as a whole, this book is very challenging. It's very difficult. In many ways, it's the most neglected book of the Bible because people don't understand it. And then there's another camp of people. Um, who, who sort of like to dig into it and see if they can identify dates and times and things, and and that's a whole other unusual thing that happens. And you know, but most of us, I think, uh, probably read a book like this and go, "How in the world do I understand it?" And so, what I want to do this morning is give some breadth and depth and understanding to this John the beloved, who gets this beautiful revelation from Jesus, what it means, and how it sort of impacts our life today. So let's start reading um, in verse 1. So I'm in Revelation 1, and I'm going to say uh, just one thing here. Um, I am a fan of paper Bibles. I say this every once in a while, but I'm a fan of paper Bibles, and here's why. Nothing against scrolling. It's okay to scroll. I mean, No no big deal. But look at my Bible. I got notes all over it. I, I don't come to church to hear the pastor. Do you know that? I don't much care what I have to say today. But I want to hear the little gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit. And I want to hear the voice of King Jesus. And I carry a paper Bible, not as a a badge or a thing or whatever. No, no, no. I carry a paper Bible because I expect that every time I open it, as I dig into the wealth of the very life and word of my Jesus, that he speaks, and I circle things, and I date things, and I got notes all over the place, and times and dreams I had, and it becomes this um, sort of living, breathing relationship and representation of how I interact with a holy God. I'd actually encourage you, if you don't have a paper Bible, there's one Out there, you can get. If you want a different one, let me know and we'll get you one. But there is something so powerful when you, as a person, begin to open the Word. John 1 uh, in the book, uh, the Gospel that John wrote says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. Now get that a second as we even embark on Revelation 1. This is literally God. It is the Word of God. It is the person of God. It is the revelation of God. And therefore, when you open it, it is, Lord Jesus, feed me, speak to me, convict me, change me, fill me, heal me, redeem me. That's what we're doing. So as we open these words together, I'm not here to tell you a sweet story or entertain you or inspire you or make you laugh. No, no, no. I'm actually here to generate inside of you hunger for the very Word of God and the person of the Spirit. That is what church is about. We come together on the Lord's Day, which we'll talk about in a little bit, to actually encounter the living person of the Lord Jesus and His most Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. Now, let's open our Bibles. We're in Revelation 1 and I'm going to start by reading just a few verses. The revelation from Jesus Christ, it's very cool, which God gave to him. So who gave the revelation to Jesus? God, right on. Uh, To show his servants what must soon take place. So he made it known by sending it to his angel. So who did Jesus send it to? his angel, that's right, and to his servant. So the angel brought it to John, verse 2, who testifies to everything he saw. Now, really fascinating here. As Christians, um, our job is only to testify to what we see. Like, that's it. Just like John. It's like his job in this moment, this old man as he picked up that quill with busted hands and he began to write what he saw. As Christians today, our job is to go around and share the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and the hope of Jesus and testify to what we've seen. That the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, that's what he's testifying about. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. Say with me, even if you're at home, say with me, the time is near. Now Jesus is coming soon. Now, what's fascinating to me about this book, it's different from every other book in the Bible, is we we just read it here, but blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's what it says. You are literally blessed if you read this book and then what's fascinating is at the very end of the book you turn here if you like or make a note if you like but in revelation 22 verses 17 or excuse me 18 and 19 it says literally the last three or four verses of the bible i warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll if any one of you adds to them god will add to you the plagues described in it no joke yeah And if any one of you takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from you your share in the tree of life and in the holy city which is described in it. That's something fearsome, isn't it? The American church is actually teetering on the brink of departing from the Word of God and teaching the person of the Holy Spirit to tell stories and ideas and things that entertain. And that is not what we are called to do. Sometimes you may come here and go, man, he's getting awfully deep. The the idea is actually that you would not only get deep, but you would actually get Jesus into you, get the Word into you. The idea, the whole concept of the Christian life is not just that we as believers um, go to heaven. That's good, right? I want to go To heaven, that's where I intend to be. But the idea is that that God gets heaven into us, that's the point. And then, so as we become um, ambassadors for Christ, we're literally carrying the person of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, and a taste of heaven to everyone we meet. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. To those, uh, let's see here in their heart uh, what is written in it because the time is near. Verse 4. Uh, to John, uh, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. Let me just make a, a comment or two about this. Uh, a, a Greek person would have started a letter in this day with grace, and the Greek person who was a non-believer would have meant that kind of like good luck. It, it was it was grace. John, um, and all through um, the New Testament, what happens is grace is sort of upgraded and elevated into the gracious hand of God being on you, the favor of God being on you, the loving kindness, of the Lord being on you, the forgiveness of God being on you. And then John so brilliantly, like he and and all the early apostles did, he switches and he says grace and peace. So a Hebrew person uh, beginning a letter in this day and age would have started with peace, shalom. So literally what John is saying, he's appealing to his whole audience and he's going grace, the unmerited favor and blessing of God, and then peace. Peace is a person, the peace of Christ, the peace passes all understanding. The prince of peace be unto you from him. Now, this is so important. If you've got a paper Bible, circle this to uh, you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. We're going to circle back to this all through. From him who, uh, who is, who was, past, and who is to come future. And from the seven spirits before his throne, that seven is going to be tied in right with the seven churches that we're studying um, before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. A little little kind of uh, possibly sidebar here, but you actually um, get this idea about uh, Jesus in Revelation um, that he is, he is uh, king. So, <clears throat> In in the um, in, in the uh, the uh, Matthew Mark Luke John so so the, the original um, gospels you get this idea that Jesus is kind of like um, a, a prophet and then in the writings of Paul and um, Hebrews, some of the other epistles you get this idea that Jesus is priest and then Revelation ends and this whole the the the, the canon of scripture comes to an end with the book of Revelation and you get this idea that Jesus is king. And that's actually what the entirety of sort of this vision and everything that you we're going to read about in this book is literally saying is Jesus is king. So he, he is uh, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And, and let, me, um, let me make a little side note here because I think it's very important. Um, this might be news to you. Trump is not in power. Biden is not in power. The Senate is not in power. The House is not in power. Putin is not in power. The gentleman who rules in the UK is not in power. The Chinese president is not in power. God, this book, is actually a book on the theology of power. That's what Revelation is. And it looks at the theology of power, and we're actually oftentimes scared to dig into it because it is so serious and so significant because the Revelation actually reveals a holy God who was before, who is in the middle, and who will be at the end. And he rules and reigns supreme over all the kings of the earth. Now listen, uh, Christians have social responsibility and Christians have political responsibility, okay? If you make that the ultimate ends of your life on this earth, you're missing the mark. The ultimate ends of life on this earth is to carry the gospel of Christ Jesus, to carry the person of Christ Jesus, um, and to share and elevate him and walk and go where he tells you. That is, the essence of it is to walk intimately with King Jesus, I'm not saying abdicate political or social responsibility. We have that. But I'm saying make well and sure that that's not the chief end of your life. Because if it is, I would say to you, you're missing the mark. I would also say this morning that The enemy doesn't probably want you to read this book of Revelation. The enemy probably also wouldn't want you to read the book of Genesis. It's interesting because in the book of Genesis and in the book of Revelation, you see the enemy most clearly. Now, you have an enemy. You may not know that. Some people actually think that that enemy um, is the opposite of God. Satan is the opposite of God. I want to tell you, he's not. He's a fallen angel. He does not have near the authority or near the dominion. He is not the king of kings. And when Christ Jesus was crucified on that hill... Went to the grave and resurrected. He beat hell. He beat the enemy and he overcame him. But it is important that we as Christians understand that we have an enemy. It's interesting because a dear friend of mine is sitting in here today, Carol Mayette, and she actually, she was just, uh, she and her husband Pedro were at our house the other night and we were hanging out, and she actually came to Jesus at a Bible study on the book of Revelation. I just couldn't even believe that. Or sitting in there, and she starts telling her story, and I'm like, no way. Of all the things, you could, you could come to Christ on. This book is crazy. It is hard to read. And Carol comes to Christ. She's sitting right in front of me here, um, studying uh, Revelation. Just absolutely brilliant. So in Revelation, um, Jesus uh, comes um, as a, uh, a lion um, he, he actually, um, no, let me, let's, let's go back here for just a minute. Uh, remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem um, on the, uh, uh, right before he was crucified, um, he rode in Jerusalem. Do you remember what he rode in on? <laughs> E-aw, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, you can tell I got kids, right? I make animal noises. You can come back later and I'll make more. Uh, now, Jesus is coming again, the book of Revelation tells us, and this time, what's he coming in on? A white horse a white horse, with a sword in his hand. And you begin to get this imagery of who Jesus is at the end and who Jesus was sort of at the beginning. In fact, one of the things that happens here is you get an idea about a a day of retribution or wrath, and you really don't see much of that in Jesus in the Gospels except maybe when he cleanses the temple. Remember that? If you don't know that story, it's worth reading. Jesus cleanses the temple. You get a taste of his retribution or wrath. Now, I want to say something, and there's a little line I want to cut here. Um, Do you remember when Jesus was arrested, Peter got angry, Peter whipped out a sword, and he took the sword and he chopped the ear off one of the guards. Have you ever read that? Yeah? Okay, now what did Jesus do? Put the ear back on. Thank you. He literally picked it up and he put that ear and he literally healed the man. Now, God has not called, to my knowledge, any of us to be riding a white steed or coming in with a horse. There is one who will, but it's not you and it's not me. Our job at this point is to carry the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the joy of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and not to pick up a sword. God will come back with a sword, but that person, that job is not yours or mine to do. That's King Jesus, and he will return. Something else that I love about this passage, and I think it's so important that we get it or recognize it, is in the book of Revelation, if you count the verses, so if we literally went through and count each of the verses, anybody know how many there are? Anybody online? I we have the first yeah, you, you, you don't count then. You, how many? <laughs> how many verses are in the book of Revelation? Somebody take a guess. Uh, more than that, 404. Now, here's the point. Uh, 24 out of 29 Old Testament books are quoted in the book of Revelation. Now, guess how many verses, if we have 404 verses in the whole book, guess how many verses reference Old Testament texts? Come on, give me a guess. Good guess, no? What? Nope. Nope. It's really important, actually. Way more. Way more. Four hundred and four verses. How many reference Old Testament texts? Four hundred. Four hundred That's a good guess. 400. Now get, this is so important, church. 400 of 404 verses reference the Old Testament. Now now think of John, the broken John, old man inside this cave. He's mining for salt. He is literally being punished. He is separated. He's writing what he sees. And literally as he writes, he references of the 404 verses he pens, he references the Old Testament 400 times. Now did John have a New Testament in that moment? No. Whoever said that's exactly right. The New Testament was still being written and finalized. The canon of Scripture was still being put together. So what was John's Bible? Old Testament. That's right. And he studied, literally. He knew it so well. Do you think he had his bookshelf in that cave with his shackles on no, no, no. no. He studied that word so much and so clearly, and he knew it so much in his person that as he penned what he saw, he literally referenced the Old Testament 400 times. Now, why is that important? Because the best way to prepare yourself for new revelation uh, or current revelation is to study the revelation of God, which he's already given. In other words, if you want to be actively filled with the current presence of God, the current purpose of God, or or the current plan, or the current uh, what God is doing or unfolding, the way to do it is actually get into this word. It's why I'm always saying, get into your one-year Bible. Read it. Digest it. And you know, it's funny because people look at that one-year Bible and they're like, oh my goodness, that thing is so, it would take me like, you know, an hour a day to do that. Let Let me give you some freedom here. Can I do that? If you only have seven minutes. Great. Just read the New Testament portion. Let's say you have two minutes. Great. Read the Psalm. Let's say you have 17 seconds. Great. Read the Proverb. Because see, the idea is that as you encounter the person of God in the word, that he actually generates hunger inside of you and you actually want more because you come and we don't live by bread alone or food alone. No, no, no. We live on every word that proceeds from the very mouth of God. And this is the person of God through the most Holy Spirit. So if all you can do is pick up that little one-year Bible and look at the little proverb and read for one or two or six seconds a day, do it. Start somewhere. Take a little step. This isn't. This isn't conviction. This isn't beating you up. No, no, no. This is literally. If you want, just like John, so knew his Bible. If you want the current and active revelation of God, then what you have to do is open your Word and get in it. That's the essence of this life. I don't much care what I have to say today. I don't much care what most preachers have to say today or most authors have to say today. Here's what I do care about. What's Jesus saying? And what's the Holy Spirit doing in us and through us, and what is he revealing to us? Because church, for me, that's the thing I get on my knees over. That's the thing I go, come, Lord Jesus. That's worth us finding him. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's Hebrews. The other thing that I think that I would say here is, This book is a signpost. Now, let me unpack this. Revelation is a hard book. We've already said that. Um, uh, Park that for just a second. This book, the entirety of Revelation, is a signpost. Imagine that we're driving down in front of a school. And in front of a school, if we're driving down the road, we come across a what? A school crossing or a school zone. And there's a little sign that's actually um, in that school zone. And it's usually, uh, I I think it's it's like a diamond or a... I think it's a diamond. Actually, I'm like, what is that? I need to ask Amelia. She could tell me, my three-year-old. It's a diamond, and it's yellow. And on that sign, there's usually um, an older person, either someone who's like wearing a dress or someone who's wearing pants, and it's a silhouette, and they have the hand of a younger person, and they've got a little suitcase or a lunchbox. And then there's a younger person who also has a little suitcase or lunchbox. Have you seen that sign? Okay, now, when you see that sign at the school zone, have you ever stopped your car and gone, I wonder if I'm going to see a silhouette person? Have you? I mean, Daniel and I could go sit at a school, and we could hang out there for all week, and I don't think we're ever going to see a silhouette person, will we? Christians read Revelation as if it is actual literal. Now, is Revelation literal? Yes. Is Revelation not literal? Yes. Christians, though, read it and they start trying to go, oh, this is what this means and this is that date and, oh, this is going to happen. This already happened in 1980 and this is going to happen. And I want to go, hang on, back up. Revelation is a signpost. It's indicating to you that you're in a school zone, that there's kids around, that there's parents around, that there's people crossing the street. It's an indicator to you that you need to be aware, that you need to look around, that you need to stay alert and not run anybody over. And Revelation is much the same way. It's a signpost post. It's a sign of the times. It's a sign of what's happening. And we we sort of look at it, and I think you get into real trouble if you begin to um, sort of under the microscope identify this is this country, and this is this leader, and you're probably missing the point. The sign is, what is God doing in the earth today, and is he going to return? Yes. Do you know when? No. Do I know when? No. Are you going to know when? No. If you meet anybody who says they do, Find a new friend. I'm ah, serious, or a new church. Just saying. So one of the things that that uh, you you see. Um, eh. Let me, let me back up just a second here. Um, John, throughout the book of Revelation, and I'm, I'm actually introducing kind of the book of Revelation, but I'm also introducing the seven churches, and what you see um, is this day in Revelation of sort of the wrath or retribution of God. That's kind of scary, I think. Then you actually, the metaphor shifts, and John describes sort of a day of great reward, um, and then the metaphor shifts again, and you see Jesus sort of renovating or recreating the entire heaven's and earth. And then it shifts again, and you see King Jesus reigning forever and ever. So no more does he have a crown of thorns on his head. Now he has literal crown, and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is over all. So let's keep reading. I think I'm in verse 5 at this moment, Um, but let's continue on, uh, and we will start. um, We read grace and peace to you. Let's just start right there. uh, Verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, who's this talking about? To him who loves us, this is like a Sunday school answer, come on. Jesus, that's right. I've got a nephew, and man, you read anything, and at Christmas time we always read stuff, and, and we're reading a little book, and you ask any question, he'll go, Jesus. This is, this is Sunday school, guys. This is like, you know, to him who loves us, what's the answer? Jesus. That's right. Okay. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That amen just means like, so be it. That means like, yes, I agree. Verse 7, look, he is coming with the clouds. Imagine John again in that cave. Can you imagine just the clouds rolling in off the ocean and him watching them? And even as John pens this, and every eye will see him, Jesus, even those who pierced him. Now, that's a reference to the Roman guards and the religious leaders of the day. But I've got news for you. You and I pierced him as well. He was put there for my sin and for yours. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So it shall be. Amen. Now, verse 8, so important. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, you you first got this um, back up in... uh, Goodness, where is it? I've lost it. Um, The uh, Who was and is and is to come. Where is that? Verse uh, 4. And then you see it again. Jesus goes, "I am the Alpha and the Omega." Now it's fascinating because I just imagine John in this moment. He's like sitting in this cave. He's probably downtrodden. He's feeling alone. He's penning this thing, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he hears this voice that he knows, and it goes, "I am the Alpha and the Omega." And John's like, "Ah, oh, it's my Jesus. That's my Jesus." says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. That's the third time we see that, who is, who was, and who is to come. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and in the kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's literally just saying, I was on the island of Patmos because I preached Jesus and they put me here. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, now I've already kind of given this away, but the Lord's day is Sunday. Now, Hebrew tradition would have said that we would celebrate um, a day of rest or the Sabbath from sundown Uh, Friday to sundown Saturday. Now it's interesting because originally that's when people sort of dedicated or celebrated the Lord's Day, New New Testament Christians. And then there's this little shift and they shift it uh, to Sunday morning. Fascinating shift that happens. And what happened, the best I can understand it, is um, the Caesar worship that had been implemented by Rome uh, dedicated the first day of the week, which was Sunday, to Caesar. And the New Testament Christians rose up and went, no way, we're not dedicating anything to Caesar. You are not our God, we are not gonna bow the knee. No, 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 just like we give the first of our money to you, we're gonna give the first of our time to you, the first of our week to you. And so they literally took Sunday morning and they said, Sunday morning is the Lord's day. It's not Caesar's day, it's not Trump's day, it's not Biden's day, no, 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 it's the Lord's day and it's given to him. And so literally John is on this Sunday morning I was, on the Lord's day, look at this next passage, I was in the Spirit. I love that. I love that, and I don't know exactly even what that means, but that's capital S Spirit. That is Holy Spirit, people. That is like, that is what, if I want anything in this life, it's to get up and I be in the Spirit. John is like, in the Spirit. And then this is this next passage, I so love it. John says, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, here it is, his Jesus again, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I can just imagine John, broken and old and hurt, turning to look at the voice. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And I turned and I saw the seven golden lampstands, that's like the seven churches, and among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. Now, who called themselves the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus come on, right there. (laughs) And I saw someone dressed like the Son of Man. So Jesus gave himself that title in the Gospels. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. And he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. And his feet were like bronze. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Now, the last time um, before Jesus was crucified, uh, when we saw Jesus dressed, was he dressed in? Probably almost nothing. He'd have everything ripped off. He'd been beaten. He'd been destroyed. Jesus uh, raises from the dead. He appears to his disciples. And all it really says is he was dressed in white. So we get this this, um, Jesus the carpenter, Jesus sort of the probably rock mason, Jesus the builder. That's kind of the image you have of Jesus' clothes. And all of a sudden here in Revelation, as Jesus returns, he's dressed like a king. Everything shifts. And this is Jesus the king. And in his right hand, I love that too, the voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I just envision John looking out at those breaking waves. And as he hears the waves breaking, it reminds him of the rushing waters, the voice of his Jesus. And in his right hand, he held the seven stars coming out of his mouth, was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the only response to a holy God. And this is the crux, I think, of this entire chapter. I love this because you have John who, I just, uh, just like you and I, was probably discouraged. He was down. He was alone. And you get this idea that Jesus walks into his cave. And literally it says, then he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and I'm the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and now I hold the keys of life and of death. Write, therefore, what you've seen, both what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." Jesus literally uh, breaks hell. He breaks death. He breaks isolation. He breaks loneliness. And he breaks into John's cave and breaks John's isolation and loneliness and sadness. Uh, There is no doubt that Jesus is literally um, the Alpha and the Omega. He is um, sort of uh, the bookends. Lord Jesus, can I stand on the floor? Church, you got to get this. This is so important. This is so important. Four times in this chapter we see, um, I am uh, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will come. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He says that twice. So four times we see this this idea that he's the beginning and he's the end. Now we know in, in Psalms 139 that God created us and he knows everything about us, right? He knows the hairs on our heads. He knows the, our names. He knows our personalities. He knows who we are. He knows uh, the, the color that, uh, of our skin. He knows our nationality. He knows everything. He is our alpha. And, and that alpha and omega is like us saying today, he's our A to Z, He's our A and he's our Z. It's like it's this this idea. And then you go to the end and you get this Jesus now who has beaten death. He has conquered hell. He, He has overcome. And he literally holds the keys to heaven and hell. He holds the keys to death. And so here's the question that begins to be laid before all people for all time. If Jesus is your beginning... He is your alpha, he is your A, and if Jesus is your end, he holds the keys to when you will exit this life and when you will enter either eternal darkness or eternal life. If he's the end, the question that you and I hold today and tomorrow and every day until we depart this life is, what are you going to fill the middle with? Is the void between, it is, that is the area that you have jurisdiction over, and in this day and every day, you have the opportunity to choose this Jesus. Is it your house or is it his house? Is it your job or is it his job? Is it your kids or are they his kids? Is it your spouse or is it his spouse? Is it your loneliness or is it his loneliness? Is it your sickness or is it something he's allowed in your life? You are called, and we as Christians are called to come to the table and go, he is the alpha. He is the omega. What will you fill the void between with today? If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The question for us as Christians, as friends, as parents, as individuals, is will we dedicate this day and every day to King Jesus? Will we give everything we have, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day, and let him be that space between the Alpha and the Omega? Stacy, would you come? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm convinced as I read from Genesis to Revelation that you are the beginning and you are the end. And like Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30 says, you have placed before us life and death, blessings and curses. This day choose life. Lord Jesus, you are the alpha, you are the beginning not only of our lives, you're the beginning of this country, you're the beginning of this world, you're the beginning of every country of this world, and you are also the end. There is no one who is like you who holds the keys to life and death. You are the firstborn among those who have died because you beat death, you resurrected from hell, and you offer us life and relationship with you. I imagine John sitting in that cave, responding to his Jesus. And Father, I pray today as this church gathers both in person and online in living rooms or on boats or wherever they are, that you would intersect and interact with our hearts. And Father, may we be a people who chooses to let you fill the gap between with your person, with your presence. Church, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, as Stacy leads us through this closing song, I would invite you to let the Holy Spirit sift your heart. Let him uh, sift even your life and go, Lord, where are those areas that I haven't fully given over to you? And then invite his presence, invite his person to become the space between, to become the gap between the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z the beginning and the end.